You're listening to Dots, Lines, and Destinations, a travel podcast with host Stephen Seagraves, Fosma Moon, and Seth Miller. Hello, and welcome to episode 395 of Dots, Lines, and Destinations. I am Stephen Seagraves, joined this week by Mr. Seth Miller. How you doing? I'm doing pretty well. How are you? I'm all right. Staying cool. We're trying yeah. to. Yeah. It's it's fresh fruit season, fresh veggie season. The uh, the gardens here are going crazy, so... Planted? Oh yeah. Our cherry the cherry tomatoes are off the hook. The blueberries awesome. are doing great. Uh, if anyone needs some tomatoes, let me know. I'll happy to ship them. <laughs> <laughs> the the blueberries, like you, you planted multiple blueberry plants, right? Correct. Uh did you plant them in like are are they the type where if you plant them in sequential order, you get like blueberries throughout the entire summer? Yeah, so we purposefully picked different varietals that uh peak at different seat parts of the season. Mm-hmm. So we have nine total. And I think we have like three early, three mid and three late now. Oh, nice. Yeah. So the early ones have been going for a couple of weeks. The mid ones are like coming into their own now. It's awesome. That's great. And with three plants each, you get a decent number of blueberries. Yeah, we've got, I just picked like literally another plant today this morning before we're recording. So oh, sweet. And there's plenty more where that came from. <laughs> uh, so a little bit of follow up from, sorry, just to be clear, I'm not shipping those. Oh, well, I was, that's what I was going to ask for. I'm not shipping for, you your cherries. Issue, I was going to say, Linnea might be willing to negotiate a trade with the cherries, <laughs> but she's pretty firm on the blueberry. We had neighbors over one day, like just talking in the front yard, like last year, the year before, and I said something, something I'm like, yeah, you know, and we got, you know, if you want, come over and grab a handful. And she looked at me like, like I was going to die. It was <laughs> like, there are many, many other things I could have said that were apparently, uh, couldn't, I mean, no other things I could have said that could have been worse. That's like, you got the know. death stare. You got to talk when you went home. I did. <laughs> when my neighbor finally left, I was like, "Never mind." <laughs> um, follow up from last week: some Laguardia stats. Yeah, um, our conversation about Laguardia last week uh, touched a nerve with a few people. Um, Just a few. Uh, <laughs> but one of the things that came up was uh, some of the statistics about travelers and the focus on: is it good for business travelers? Is it good for leisure travelers? Something uh, the Port Authority statistics say: seventy percent of travelers departing Laguardia are doing it on leisure travel. So makes sense. Yeah. Um, so doesn't surprise me that those are some of the passengers that they're trying to uh, give a better experience to. Yeah. And I, I mean, it's interesting because like Spirit flies out of Newark and LaGuardia, right? Um, yep. And I would, what's, what's that? Yeah. I was just remembering. <laughs> yeah. I, I th- And the experience I would say at LaGuardia is better for them than it is at Newark. Uh, I mean, the Marine Air Terminal is a dump. Are they at the Marine Air Terminal? Yeah, they moved over there. Oh. There's been a whole lot of shuffling. It's been a mess. I didn't realize they had moved because they used to be over at the you know Central Sea yeah. or whatever for a little while. Which uh, B is the Central? But the yeah. Central Terminal, but PRC, I don't know. Central Terminal building, uh, by the way, the last two gates have finally opened. Oh, so it's done. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, so in that case, if they're using the Marine Air Terminal, maybe LaGuardia or Newark is better. <laughs> or, you know, it just all sucks. <laughs> um, speaking of spirit, uh, the drama is over, I guess. And just beginning. <laughs> uh, they are finally betrothed, but yet to be wed, I guess, is where we're at now, right? They, they, they picked a partner. Um, the investors chose JetBlue. And so now we get to see if the regulators will let the JetBlue will let JetBlue buy Spirit uh, Frontier. Stock price went up thirty percent last week as a result. Wow! Um, so that's kind of funny. And the Spirit is still trading below the uh, per share price that the deal theoretically 
that uh, JetBlue offered. So that tells you what investors think the likelihood of this closing is, at least right now. And what is what is JetBlue stock doing? Uh, sort of holding steady-ish, I think, for the last bit. But uh, I'm actually surprised by that. Yeah, I mean, it was down since when they started making the offer, if yeah. I remember correctly. So, um, yeah, it's right to be the... JetBlue has been very clear, you know, we're going to make all, convert all the planes to the quote JetBlue experience. So then they've said that they plan on it being a less dense, more entertainment, free snacks. Like they're going that direction. Um, they're going to have a really hard time convincing people that that's good for travelers in terms of cost because yeah. JetBlue's and they're like, there's lots of little games you can play. Like someone says, well, if you look at this comparing the fares, Spirit is $70 and JetBlue's 135 or so it's roughly the numbers. And it's like, Okay, but like that's just base fare. Spirit gets a lot more per passenger ancillary fees on average than JetBlue does. Yep. So total cost of travel isn't quite that disparate. Um, I mean, shit, Frontier announced seventy three dollars of passenger and ancillary fees last quarter. It's insane. So that that hundred that seventy three dollars at the beginning, the seventy bucks, it's really one hundred forty three. Right. Um, and it, it, again, it all varies, and different people get different things out of it, and. The, even the you know JetBlue has ancillary fees on top of it as well too, not nearly as much, but you know a decent chunk. So, uh, it, at the end of the day, though, yes, the fares are going to go up. The average fare paid per passenger flying on quote unquote Spirit or on JetBlue at that point um, is almost certainly going to pay more than they would have without the merger. JetBlue's and, argument, as I got, I was going to say, and, and to be clear, right, this is not really a merger. It's it's, it's a buyout. It's a, it's a buyout. Like yeah. JetBlue is buying spirit yes um but the the other uh part of it is that jet Jet blue's argument is basically jesus um i'm just looking at this the jet blue share price uh sorry they the spirit uh the original merch was announced like end of february jet blue is trading at 15 and a half they're trading at eight now 842 yeah um so not great I, i don't know what the rest of the i don't know how to compare that to everybody else but not great um, anyway, where were we? Uh, JetBlue's argument is that it will. It is a bigger, more. I don't know if respected is the right word, but considered at the same level as uh, the big four. Mm-hmm. And so, when JetBlue shows up in a market, those airlines respond to it in pricing, whereas they don't necessarily respond to uh, Spirit and Frontier or Allegiant if they showed up. And mm-hmm. to an extent, that is true, right? There was yeah. there was a period where Spirit could show up with like a once daily flight in a market and the legacy airlines would match that fare across the board. Uh, and then that sort of shifted in the legacy airlines were like, Oh, well they only offer the flight at two o'clock. So we'll make our two o'clock flight cheap, but the other five frequencies won't be. Yep. Um, and then there's the basic economy games and all that other stuff. Um, and you know, sometimes I could, I would imagine that they don't necessarily match directly. Uh, right. There's also the, network connection effect and you know maybe a legacy airline doesn't want to offer a cheaper fare because they want to you know they want it to be expensive or a little more expensive to buy that seat because they can also sell it for a connecting passenger you know going to a hub that going onward on an international trip where it's even worth even more so there's the complexity of that gets super fun um in terms of how many seats go in which buckets and in which markets but you know i think the overall Effect, but you got to decide, like, if you're Jet, if Blue and negotiating with the federal government at this point, can you convince them that the 80% of passengers who fly on the big four 
will benefit because now you're a 10% player and they have to, and the other lines have to respond a little more aggressively when you show up and lower fares and also convince the, the government that you're going to continue to offer lower fares, knowing full well that many times JetBlue's fares are not any cheaper or at all cheaper than mm-hmm. the legacies today. Yeah. And, right. It, that, that was an interesting one that came up actually last week, just in a chat online of like, oh, I can't believe Mint is more expensive than flagship business. Someone mm-hmm. said, and it's like, I can. And we went back and forth a little bit. It's like, you know, it, it, both prices are cheaper than it was before Mint existed. And JetBlue is now, you know, came in and undercut everybody's prices massively and is now inching back up. It's no longer, you know, the four ninety nine or five ninety nine Transcom business class tickets are few and far between. But you get the idea of, you know, JetBlue will say, we lowered the prices across the board and then people liked our product. And so we were able to raise them again. Yeah. But while still keeping it lower than it was before we showed up. And like, okay, but people have short memory of what airfare is. And like anything that's more expensive than the last ticket I bought is bad. Yeah. Yeah. So, I, I mean, there's, there's other, there's other complexities to this, right? Like it feels, it feels like both spirit and JetBlue are trying to defend, defend the decision. It feels like they're on the defensive. They're not on uh, necessarily an offensive. Yeah. Of, well, of, I mean, I think the interesting, like if you're spirit, they, at some level management's like, we has basically said, we don't think this is a good idea, but all our investors do. So let's see what happens. Yeah. Right. And that, they can't necessarily say that out loud, but like they went forward, they went forward. They still had the vote. They never really changed their recommendation with any uh, gumption towards saying, no, let's go, let's go with the JetBlue deal. Yep. Um, so, but you know, and I think, I don't know if you saw, there was a CNBC interview. Mm, um, I missed that. No, you should go watch the CNBC interview that came out on, I guess, was it Friday morning when the deal was finalized? Thursday morning, whatever it was, that morning they had Robin Hayes and Ted Christian, who are the two CEOs. And, you know, I, I don't want to say it was like uh, a hostage situation, but Ted Christie didn't look happy. Yeah. And, and, and that makes sense to me. And I feel like JetBlue, their investors are speaking out against this with the cut in share price in half, basically. Um, I, I don't know that this is a good idea for JetBlue. Like this feels worse than Alaska Virgin America. That that's how it feels to me. It feels worse than that. Yeah, I I'm not sure. Um, and the reason I say that is I don't think, and I have to go back and check the numbers. I'm not sure JetBlue overpaid quite as much mm. um, as Virgin or as Alaska did to buy Virgin, but it's uh, there's definitely a. Uh, a similarity there. I'll well, that. well, and I, I think I think let's let's. I mean, here's what that, what I'm getting at. Uh, Virgin, the Virgin Alaska merger buyout did not require a real big divestiture of assets. I think JetBlue is going to lose a lot to make this go through. And they've already agreed to give up a decent amount, right? They've agreed to give up all of Spirit's operations in New York. So those <laughs> slots we were just talking about in Newark and LaGuardia gone. Yep. Uh, Boston as well. And that's to keep the NEA, the Northeast Alliance with American alive. There was discussion about divesting gates at Fort Lauderdale as well, which is where they both have major hubs into mm-hmm. major hubs in general for South Florida, but also into the Caribbean and Latin America. Um, what's funny about that is in the release, they mentioned that they're going to strengthen their position at 
Fort Lauderdale. So apparently that decision changed. Um, there's also, uh, I think, some interesting, just in general, like, is it enough? And that's, that's, that's what I'm saying. Like, just giving up Spirit's position in New York, okay, whatever. Like, that, like to me, it's, we tear down the Marine Air Terminal finally because Spirit's gone. Hey, it's uh, a nice building. Uh, but I wouldn't want to fly out of it, but it's a nice building. I, I'm thinking they're going to be forced to give up stuff at JFK. That's what I'm thinking. You think the you think the feds will somehow try to make JetBlue divest capacity at JFK to do this? Yes. Even though Spirit doesn't fly there. Exactly. I think they're going to make them give up some of their core position to make this work. Yeah. The the only reason I I, I could see a stronger push on that with the NEA stuff. I'm not. I think it would be weird to. It would be an interesting negotiating point for them to try to make that happen at, uh, in this deal, but. You never know. I, I, I and then I, I think about JetBlue's. You know, Spirit has this point-to-point model. Um, arguably, they have hubs, but that's it's still a point. Yeah, very, very few connecting passengers. Yes. Um, but I does that fit with JetBlue? Like, does JetBlue really want to fly uh, some of these random one-offs that Spirit has? The random one-offs will be interesting. JetBlue's business model is surprisingly heavy. OND traffic, not non-connecting original yeah. destination, right? So non-stop passengers as well. I, I, I'm sure it has changed since the last time I heard the statistics, but it was well over 80%. Okay. Um, so similar to Spirit in that context. Uh, and there's a lot of value in, you know, not having to deal with connecting passengers. Um, but yeah, when you start getting into, I think when you start getting into these sort of what we're calling one-off markets, but like smaller areas where you only have, you know, maybe you only fly one route a day or, yep. or maybe not even daily service, like one city pair three times a week, that kind of stuff. Yep. Spirit was more aggressive in finding those types of markets because they could get away with the look, we're cheap and we'll get you there. Yep. Eventually. <laughs> uh, maybe, uh, you know, so like, and JetBlue is trying to make that value play of, you're going to enjoy being on our planes. You're like flying with us. It's going to be a great experience. And, you know, I think it's, they, they do. I mean, JetBlue does the same thing. They have markets where they don't surf daily, but fewer. Yeah. If I've had, if I'm, I'm guessing there, but I would say it's, I bet it's fewer markets that are served that way. Um, I don't think I have a good tool to look that up, but uh, you know, it's, I think there's some interesting challenges and there's, there's going to be markets like that. Some of those more marginal spirit markets where, JetBlue's going to have to walk away yeah. because the higher priced tickets aren't going to support the market, right? You, you know, yeah. if I'm selling Podunk to Vegas for $49 a seat, I could probably fill that up enough to cover the, the you know, base cost of running the plane. If I have to charge nine eighty nine, say, and I'm making less on the ancillaries, I'm probably, my total revenue is going to be lower the, the the base cost of running the plane hasn't changed, right? You still got to pay the crew, you still got to pay the lease, you still got to pay for fuel and gate space. So, yep. Um, I, I think there's going to be some markets like that that lose. Um, yeah. From a stock share price perspective, by the way, uh, yeah, JetBlue since February is doing miserably compared to basically everybody else in the airline world. If I <clears throat> I I gotta wonder, man, like if investors are going, all right, maybe it's time the CEO and and management go. Well, I I think it's funny is there was a question about would they have to pour some out if they lost the deal? Mm. 
that actually came up in the Q1 earnings call because this had all started before Q1 earnings uh, came around. And uh, Jamie Baker from JP Morgan literally asked uh, Robin Hayes on the call, if this doesn't go through, is your job at stake? <laughs> uh, and Robin didn't answer and just sort of pl- brushed it off. But, you know, same, same analyst, uh, Baker said, basically, this deal makes Frontier the ultra low cost carrier of the United States now. And Frontier is playing that as well. We're America's ultra low cost carrier. Allegiant probably would take umbrage with that or should certainly yep. slightly different model with Allegiant, um, much more on vacation packages and many fewer routes and destinations. Oh, similar number of destinations, but I think a more focused route structure on yep. a handful of uh, markets or sun, sun leisure destinations. But yeah, it's a real interesting situation about to happen here. Um. Yeah, I, I think it'll be fun to watch. I uh, I do I do worry about JetBlue a little bit. I, I do. Um, it, this is going to cost them a lot of money, and yeah. those uh, convert uh, converting the planes isn't cheap. It took a long time to get the 120 that they already did done on the 320s, and now they've got to do another 180 or so. Um, and I mean, doing that many for that long makes it super weird. Of like, how do you sell it? Yeah. Right? Do you sell the Spirit experience or do you sell the JetBlue experience? If you get rid of big front seat, like that was a huge moneymaker for Spirit. If you can't guarantee it's going to be there, you can't sell it. But that, that gets awkward. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, it can make it. It's a bad experience for passengers. So. Yeah. Um, tell me about this uh, American Airlines 300 NTSB report. So this was the plane. Uh, AA300 was, was 2019. April 2019 was a late flight uh, JFK to L.A., on departure, had a 37-degree bank to the left. The left wingtip scraped the runway, took out some landing light sign, landing lights, and one of the like the 5,000-foot marker, the giant mm-hmm. five on the side of the runway, um, as it got off the ground. And eventually, the pilots uh, spent 20 minutes in the air, circled back, and landed. And the plane was written off. It was damaged so badly that they got rid of it. <laughs> Um, the NTSB report, obviously had the cockpit voice recorder. They interviewed the pilots, they interviewed the cabin crew. Um, they reviewed it, the pictures and everything else. The pilots had no idea they hit anything until they landed. Wow. Um, and someone's comment to me was, you know, it's fly by wire, right? It, it, it can compensate for like the computer in the Airbus compensated for the left wing tip having a hole in it. Yeah. And it's, it's, you don't get that feedback. Right. Of- right. Yeah. You you don't feel it because the controls have have augmented and you know yeah. solved that part of the problem. They just haven't solved it. You know. But like, <laughs> there's a point where the guy's like, the pilot was so it was the captain flying. He it, uh, the NTSB says there was a hard left rudder. There was a slight cro- uh, not slight. It was a 17 knot crosswind, so half of the max, but a significant wind. Um, and he basically had a hard left rudder to help offset that. Uh, while they were rolling on the ground. And as they got in the air, it went full rudder and tipped the plane. Which I'm still trying to understand the physics. I mean, you sent me the report. Yeah. I'm trying to understand the physics of this because rudders don't roll planes, really. I mean, it it, it can, but it's it's definitely not how yeah, it I, typically happens. Yeah. And I think with the crosswind and the rudder and, you know. Yeah. There's a lot low, going on. And that low to the ground, like you get a smidgen of ground effect type stuff, I think as well, right? There's a lot in play there, but um, yeah, super crazy. But it's, I mean, the pilots got up and the captain was like, 
was cursing out the Airbus. I was like, you can't tell what's going on in these things, blah, blah, blah. It was pretty, uh, in the meantime, the plane like compensated and sort of saved him. So, uh, I mean, oops. it could have been really bad. This, this could have been much worse. I think Yeah, I mean, the plane could have cartwheeled. Work. Yes. <laughs> right. If the wing uh, really caught hit another sign, maybe like that's bad. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it could have, it could have been a real yeah. crash. Right. And I don't know that a crash with a fully loaded plane at takeoff is, uh, is a survivable no. event. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it was super interesting to read through. I mean, obviously there's some other, like just the amusing bits, like the first officer had a ton of time flying. Mm-hmm. Um, and they asked him, you know, in the NTSB interview, they do like, uh, do you like your job? Right. It's sort of like, it's like, well, it's, there's sort of some psychology type questions that come in. And the guy's response was, well, you know, it pays the bills. <laughs> and then continues, you know, the, the real problem with it is the seniority list. And it, you could, I could tell at that point what was coming next. You go back and look at his history. He started flying for TWA. Mm-hmm. And he was at the St. Louis base. He started his career on 747s for TWA. And now he's flying A320s at American. And but you you may or may not recall the American TWA integration. The TWA pilots were uh, very unhappy with how that integration went through from a seniority perspective. They ended up below basically everybody at American. Yeah. And he still did it. And he still did it. <laughs> And was so bitter enough to say it out loud in an NTSB investigation of a plane that he was helping fly that almost crashed. Like, admit, he admittedly, like, the first officer sort of took over anyways, but the the captain eventually, was like, gave him control to land it and admitted he was spooked. He didn't, like, he was shaken. And, you know, that's sort of another thing that I find interesting is as there's been a lot of talk about single pilot operations and moving in that direction. Like, having the second pilot on the flight deck to sort of see what was happening and feel it going bad. Yeah. Could have, and he actually sort of engaged. There was a point where he grabbed his side stick and went to engage it and didn't call out that he was or anything like that. It was sort of an instinctive move, but, and afterwards, you know, he's like, I don't remember doing it. Like, I don't remember the chime dinging that says I did it, any of those things, but, and I guess the Airbus is designed to sort of balance the commands of two pilots are giving different commands. Um, yeah. After, after uh, air France, yeah, crash. It's changed, but uh, but also the the rudders that was part of it were physical linked, so he would have his feet weren't on them, but he would have felt it, and they would have had to fight like kicking yeah. each other. Um, so that would have been an interesting situation, but. which is weird, right? Because if if the rudder, like, why can't we do that with a stick? Um, I mean, arguably that would have, I don't know, it probably wouldn't have had an impact on Air France four four seven. But uh, I mean, it's it's interesting to me that these guys, they're professionals. I mean, he's bitter, right, about all this. And now I feel like I feel like it's coming out that like, look at this look at this dope captain from American couldn't even fly this plane like you know I, I feel like that's kind of what was the undertone of it uh, a little bit maybe I'm yeah, wrong I don't know um, I mean they they are both still flying uh, which is amazing to me but yeah I, I'm, I'm torn on that one like you're allowed to make mistakes in life but <laughs> once uh, in that in the, you know. <laughs> It's, there's yeah, you know i, I guess know. i guess any landing is great as long as you can yeah, walk away from it but right. uh, <laughs> uh, no but the, the, the there's some other just sort of interesting nuggets in there the flight attendants like the other thing is like the flight attendants said they called up to the and they did there's the transcript of it that they called up and said hey what the hell just happened yeah. and the pilot's like hang on a second we're, we're sorting it out and then got to the hey the passenger in row eight which having just flown it is one that's like at the wingtip uh says that the left wing is damaged and the pilots are like, 
well, we've got control and there's nothing we can do now. We'll figure it out when we get to the ground, which is fair, right? Like if, yeah. if, if you've got control of the plane, like it doesn't matter how damaged it is, I guess. Like you can fly it. It seems to be responding. You do it. Uh, but th- they still like when they got on the ground, did, sort of didn't realize what it meant that the wing was damaged. Yeah. Like didn't realize that they hit something. And, like when I, when they say, when I say hit something, like they landed after flying at three or 400 miles an hour for 20 minutes, a chunk of one of the lights that they hit was still embedded in the wing. Yeah. I mean, they didn't hit it. it just, they didn't hit it going slow. But no, it was just like, and it like got stuck in there enough that it didn't shake loose. Yeah. It was, you know, like dangling, like a rod of one of the lampposts was just hanging there. It's just crazy. Uh, yeah. Maybe, maybe on a travel podcast, we shouldn't, uh, we shouldn't talk about, I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> I think well, my, the other thing though, is the engineering of the plane, right? Like, yeah, I mean, it's you had a hole in the bottom of the wing that from where it like wore out from scraping under the, on the, along the runway, a giant dent in it. And these guys are like, yeah, it's fine. I'm fine. It's great. They were they briefly considered going to LA. Can you imagine? I mean, I just think like, obviously there's a British airways 747 that went from, I think it was LA to, LA to London on three engines because one went out and I was like, Oh my God, they flew it the whole way on three engines. Like, well, it's rated for that. Yeah. That's what it's meant to do. <laughs> like, but also like it's, well, it's meant to fly on three engines. Are you supposed to go forever on three engines once you're in the air? Like what's the level of redundancy do you want? How, like, yeah. And obviously it is rated for that. It's designed for that. But like, at what level do you take the safety approach of like, okay, cool. It's broken. Like, why don't we land and fix it and then go flying again? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, speaking of, Engines, seven eighty sevens, yeah, coming, coming back, coming back. Uh, the FAA apparently um, has finally, finally agreed on what the necessary work is for Boeing to perform to repair the all the seven eighty sevens that have been waiting for delivery, uh, and then get the rest of them. And I think I'm, I'm not sure if there's other like retrofit work that's needed on existing aircraft, um, mm. but certainly the new deliveries are finally apparently supposed to be allowed to start up again at some point in August. And I said engine problems. Is this actually engine problems? I don't think so. Okay. I, I didn't think so either, but I, I was looking for a segue. Yeah. So yeah, that's cool. <laughs> speaking, of, speaking of broken shit. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. Um, and then max sevens from Boeing, not going to happen this year or going to happen. What's the story? So the launch customer is Southwest airlines. Yep. Southwest Airlines issued its earnings last week and among other things dropped the number of aircraft it expects to take from 114 to like 66, I think, which is a pretty big cut. Yep. Um, and has converted all of this year's deliveries into max eights. Hmm. Uh, you know, for a long time has had like the disclaimer in the, in the notes, in their filings of this max seven cannot be delivered until the FAA declares it. Certified, we have no idea when that will happen. The FAA is in full control of the certification timeline. Right, the standard. Yep. It will be what it will be. Um this time around, it still has that disclaimer along with a line saying we no longer expect that the Max uh seven will be delivered. Uh and yeah, I'm trying to see if I got the quote here. Um yeah, I don't have that specific line. But yeah, during the third quarter, 2022, 23 max eights. Um in the fourth quarter, uh, another 31 max eights. So they're still taking 54 new aircraft this year. Like yeah. I said, back after the year, it's a huge number of planes, but uh, none of them are going to be sevens. And they, they were really wanting the seven, right? Like the yeah, range have, like, performance of them is what they want. They want, and it's a smaller capacity. There's, yeah. they are a primarily, they fly the 737 NG 700s. They fly yeah. the smaller planes. It's a lot of, again, a lot of markets that support that are, in the right way. And so too much plane in a space, like 
I mean, you don't have to sell all the seats, but you got to sell all the seats and your numbers get weird. Yeah. And they're retiring a bunch of the old stuff. This also the 700s are older generally than their 800s. So they're retiring a bunch of them right in this, this back half of this year, they're going to retire 19 more, all 700s. Wow. Wow. So they, those are moving on. That's going to shift capacity in some interesting ways. So do do you think um, Southwest, I mean, cause part of this too is they were talking about the 700s for Hawaii. Um, the max sevens, the max seven, sorry. Um, how do you think that impacts their plans? Right. Cause they're, they're flying, they're flying a real mix to, to Hawaii. I think they and just fly the Max 8s right now to Hawaii. Uh, but I think they do the do they don't they do the 800s too? Just like the regular 800s? Do they? I thought they were only doing the Max, but I don't know. Um, so maybe it doesn't impact it as much. We we have a friend that knows more about this than we do. Yeah. Um, we should probably ask him. Just an, it's an interesting conundrum. I feel you wanna, like you want to put the podcast on hold and give him a call. No, no, no. I'm not good. We'll talk, we'll talk to him later. Yeah, they are <laughs> they are using some 800s. I'm looking right now. Like huh? San Jose to Kona is an 800. That's in route right now. Well, already then. So, I mean, I think I think that's an interesting thing because, like, that's a lot of playing with kind of shit performance. If, pardon my French. Yeah, no. Well, that, that's why I thought they were going to put all maxes on the routes, but yeah. um, and maybe that's the maybe that was the intention, right? But, yeah, I mean, they certainly waited till they had the max to launch it, or they were gonna. Yeah. Um, no, and I guess yeah, I get I get that it's a lot of playing, but like, I don't know. I feel like, especially for Hawaii and who you're competing against. Every other airline that's flying those routes has more seats. Yeah. So, um, if are bigger planes, right? So, like, if you're competing against uh, Alaska with its 900 ERs, that's yeah. you know, th- there's a that your hard costs of basically a fuel and staff and plane leases are pretty close to the same. If you've got an extra 15 seats to sell, that's bigger chance for profit, or you got to charge higher fares. And that's always going back to you know, our conversation at the beginning about the merger. Like, that's a hard. Hard sell in some cases. Um, yeah. Southwest does have the advantage of most people don't compare pricing when they shop with them. They just, because they don't participate in the, you know, online travel agent pricing world. You just go to Southwest and click. They never know yep. what the other guys are. But. Yep, exactly. Um, and more Boeing news. BA doesn't expect, I mean, they announced this and they said we don't expect the 777X until 2026, which yeah, is kind they, of a follow, which is a little bit of follow up to what we talked about last week. Yeah, so that's an, just more delays on the 777X as well. And what does it mean in terms of delivery timing? Still, no one knows exactly when that's going to be certified. <laughs> it's yet another plane that has that challenge yep. from Boeing. Uh, and we, they, you know, everybody is saying earliest is 2024 now. Obviously, I don't think BA had the earliest delivery slots anyways. But the latest update is 2026 through 2028 are their deliveries. Hmm. Wow. Um, and speaking of BA, this is an amusing uh, just anecdote. There's been a lot of talk this summer about you have to put air tags in your check bag so you know where your bags are at all times. Yep. Um, I think it's stupid. I Like, at best, you might know where your bag is, but it's still not going to help you when your bag is lost or delayed. So uh, in most cases, because you still have to wait for the airline to decide to give it to you. Yes, and going and standing at the counter and screaming at the gate at the you know agent. But I know where my bag is. Isn't going to earn you any points. Exactly. Uh, certainly not any friends. Um, I had an interesting story though. A flight attendant said they were flying New York to London on again. It was a BA flight, and the passenger came up to them at one point during the trip and was like, uh, "We got a problem. My AirTag says my bag is still on the ground at JFK." <laughs> and so like. 
on the one hand, like, what did he expect to happen? Like, we're going to go back and get it? Yeah, we're going to turn around, sir. <laughs> um, have a seat. <laughs> yeah. Oh, shit. Hang on. We'll go, we'll go grab that. I'm going to hang a hook out the back and see if we can pick it up off the runway. Um, so the, also, like, just weird that that happened. But uh, the flight attendant actually did a good job. Went up to the flight deck, said, hey, this is, we got this report. They sent an ACARS message back to JFK and said, hi, we have a report that the bag is not on the, board, on the plane. Can you double check that was it left behind? Ground crew came back. It's like, nope, we loaded it. We got it. You know, we got a scan mark here. We don't see it in the room. It's it's on the plane. Don't worry about it. Go back to the passengers. Like it says, it's on the plane. Passengers like, what? you know, okay, fine. Sleep, whatever. The flight attendant actually went down to baggage claim with the passenger to figure out who was right. <laughs> Which is, I mean, the guy is a good pro flight attendant. I, I like him. But like, yeah. I don't always, but like this guy knows what he's doing. And like, and also like, I can imagine like. Well, we got to figure out who wins, right? Like, yeah, this is entertaining. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so he walked down there. The bag was there. I wonder if it's because the guy's air tags didn't update. Well, right, of course it is. The air tag yeah. didn't update, but like, raises the question of like, what's the sampling? Where was it supposed to update? Why did the other three? Is it was it like because it's a wide body? Was it in the inside of a bin? And just even if the baggage agents had, you know, iOS devices nearby, it was in between a bunch of other stuff. Yep, and didn't get scanned uh, as it got on the loader. Or is it because it was like right? It's, it's if it it's on a loader and then goes up and it gets slid into the container and then it slides onto the plane. I wonder how many of the updates that say it's on the plane come from uh, other passenger devices. Mm-hmm. Because you know what I mean, you're like ten feet above it when you're sitting on the main deck of the airplane below above the, you're right above the baggage, right? If it was like on the bottom and there were some other bags on top of it that had something in them or like that sort of limited the signal strength, like there's plenty of radio frequency fun to have in terms of deciding why it didn't come through. Yeah. But the bag made it. And so you can imagine though, like some passenger pitching a fit for eight hours across an ocean of you left my bag behind only to come out and find that it's actually there. So well, that's pretty and, funny. And also again, it comes back to the first point. What do you want me to do? Like yeah, they, well, they sent, they yeah. sent the ACARS message so they could put it on the next flight. If it didn't, if it did miss sure. it, they could put it on the next plane. We could <laughs> arrive two hours later when it comes yeah. to BA to London. So yeah. <laughs> 30 minutes. And that, depending yeah, on the exactly. time. And like the guy was apparently chill about it. He was a frequent flyer. He knew that like shit happens and was okay with it. But you know, it did raise, you know, and someone's response was, well, if I know my bag's not going to be on the plane, I'd go straight to baggage services file and not wait 30 minutes of roundabout, you know, watching the yeah. carousel. And so, like, you're fair. There is some value in that, um, you know, in the other direction, sort of. But it was it was just an interesting anecdote. Yeah. That- yeah. Um, launch dates for the Virgin Atlantic A330neo. Yeah. So this is the one that's got their new super fancy sort of business class plus. Yep. Uh, Boston's the first route. First flight is Wednesday, October 12th. Are you going to take it? So here's the thing. I'm going to be in Europe the week before for a conference mm-hmm. and was planning on coming home Saturday. Mm-hmm. And so now I'm thinking maybe I should just stay in Europe for four days and come home Wednesday. But wait a second here. I thought it's a special week that week. Yeah, my wife's birthday is that Friday. I'd come home and then be home in time for the birthday. We can't, I can't go to Eurovan on her birthday, Stephen. Okay, gotcha. All right. Uh, Sorry. Sorry. I fun. mean... Uh, <laughs> Uh, okay, but like, Which is a diff- just so I'm clear, that's a different person that I'm apologizing to, not you. Yes. In saying the name differently. Yes. Anyway. Uh, so are you, are you actually considering this? Yes. I've priced it. Uh, my, I currently have an award seat that's like 60,000 points in 
hundred bucks or something like that. So fair price coach both ways in and out of Amsterdam. Um, we had talked previously on the show about me not really wanting to fly out of Amsterdam. <laughs> um, but now, now things seem normal for you. Eh, well, no, but uh, that's where the show was. So that's where I was going. <laughs> um, but if I could fly out of London, I'd take the train from Amsterdam to London. It'd be my mm-hmm. first time on Eurostar. So that'd be kind of cool. Yeah, that's true. Through the channel. Um, and I'd get to be on the inaugural flight. It's, it's $800 ish round trip just for the airfare 850 for coach. Uh, it becomes like 1500 if I come home in premium economy and 2600 if I come home in business class. Is that business class round trip or just like business one way? No, it's coach going over, that's coach going over and then either economy, premium economy or business coming home. And so it's like it's, a 800, it's an $800 premium for one way in premium economy. Yep. So and then another, uh, Nine hundred or thousand bucks to go to business class. So, like, it isn't terrible. I mean, even me, cheap ass me, is saying, eh, like twenty six hundred bucks. I can, I can, I can swing that for um, for for what is it? Eight class. hours? Yes, hours? it's blocked at eight. If I do upper class, I have I get lounge time. It's the five thirty p.m. departure out of London. Oh, so, nice. yeah, it's the late flight. So, like, some upper class lounge time isn't the worst thing in the world. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's not worth a thousand dollars, but you know, I mean, if you could get a haircut, I would consider it. Worth. <laughs> uh, I do need, I will need a haircut by then. I'm sure. <laughs> I need to get uh, one in like next week and then it'll be two months. So yeah, that's about right. I, I did mention to Foss, speaking of late departures out of Europe, uh, it looks like United has brought back the late Frankfurt to San Francisco flight. Nice. Um, so I think it leaves now at like six ten PM and gets into San Francisco at like seven thirty PM. Which is really nice because we've we've talked about it before. Like I don't really want to take a nine a.m. flight yeah. out of Frankfurt. Like it's not my because it usually means a six a.m. departure from wherever I'm coming from. As I say, and do you can you still get back to Portland that night? Yeah, there's a late late. There's a nine thirty. Yeah, yeah, late late, <laughs> late late. Yeah, I mean, but it gives you it gives you basically another day in Europe almost. Yeah, yeah. So, I get, would you splurge? I mean, would you splurge for premium economy? Would you splurge all the way to business class? I know you prefer business class anyways, but um, I mean. I would probably go with premium economy. It's new for them too, right? Like premium economies. It, it's, they've had premium economy, but this is sort of new on this plane. So, I mean, that's the, that's the hard part. Like if I was going as you as kind of a passenger experience person, yeah. I'd probably splurge for business. But for me, I'd be happy in premium economy on a, on a daytime flight. Yeah. Um, I'd probably be fine. What is the seating? Two, four, two. Yeah. I'd probably be fine. In coach. Uh, too. It's two, four, two in coach, two, three, two in premium, one, two, one, two, one in business. I guess it depends on if I can guarantee a window. Yeah, and I haven't checked the seat. I haven't checked the seat map yet. Um, if I couldn't guarantee a window in coach, I go premium economy. Yeah, if I so could, we could get a window there, so I could get a window. Yeah, yeah, I haven't checked to see what the window situation is. I've I've had uh, speaking of windows, I've had people now ha- call the flight attendant to ask them to put the shade down on flights. On you? Yes. Like the person sitting next to you asked the flight, like, "Excuse me, could you tell the person next to me to please tip the window yes. down?" Yes, like they got up into the bathroom oh. and then they came, they came they came back in the flight and I like followed them. I was like, "Sir, could you put your window?" And I'm like, "No, <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm looking at stuff." <laughs> the next time I'm in an aisle seat, I'm gonna go. Can you ask him to open the window shade? <laughs> it's so stupid. Um, yeah, speaking I mean, of shades, uh, Iberia is putting doors like A350s in business class. New seats coming. Uh, Ricardo's. Is that, is, yeah, sorry, got No, I was gonna say, is this like the new bourgeois thing? Doors. Yeah. Doors. Okay. Oh, okay. Anyway, if you like continue. it, then you should have put a door on it. If yeah. you like it, then you should have put a door on it. <laughs> um, we're going to get copyright strike now. 
I, there's no way anyone's going to recognize what I just did as music. Don't worry. <laughs> uh, yeah. It, doors are like all the rage, even when they're not very good or useful. Um, the Air New Zealand regular seats have like a tiny door that just covers the tray table up or like the little side table. It's so ridiculous. But yes, uh, the Recaro CL6720 is the newest sort of fancy business class seat slash suite product out there. Mm-hmm. Um, and it would appear uh, based on one tiny photo included in a earnings release from IAG that they're coming. Um, he, the CEO of IAG is the parent company. Uh, Gallego is his name. Uh, mm-hmm. Said that it's the Recaro CL seat coming and the picture looks like the 6720. So I, I would say the biggest part of the, of this news is that it's not the staggered footwell that some of Iberia's planes currently have in business class. Yeah, it should be a nice, I mean, there's still a sort of a footwell thing. It still staggers. Oh, it is. Yeah, it's oh, still okay. an in-out seat. Yeah. Interesting. Um, but yes, it will be nicer. Um, they're putting doors on it. It's not coming. Uh, they've got a couple deliveries still slated for this year, I think, but it should be, there's eight still comings from late next year. And it mm-hmm. seems like it's going to be those eight will be the first ones to get it. No word on retrofits. Wow. Okay. So, um, I think that's a show. I mean, for our yeah. Patreon subscribers, we're going to talk a little bit about Delta, a little bit about Air France, a little bit about Singapore, a little bit about Air Canada. All around the world. All around the world. And all mostly about miles a little bit. So stick around for that. To our uh, listeners, thanks for joining us. If you'd like to listen to the Patreon stuff, you can sign up and support us. And uh, we'll talk to you next time. Happy travels. Take care.